0: fundraising everywhere fundraising
1: everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere
0: fundraising
1: everywhere fundraising everywhere
0: fundraising everywhere
1: fundraising everywhere
0: fundraising everywhere
2: fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising
0: everywhere fundraising everywhere
2: fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere fundraising everywhere Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a free glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yeah, just head to the fundraisingeverywhere.com site and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions.
0: Good afternoon, morning, evening, wherever you're dialing in from, dialing, I don't know why I keep saying that, I'm sorry. Hello, everyone. You're all very welcome uh, to this latest Fundraising Everywhere monthly session. Uh, Today, we are talking about charities and NFTs. Is it the next step for online fundraising or is it a digital distraction? We're going to have a nice open discussion uh, with some uh, resident experts uh, and just asking questions and just really having a nice discussion, trying to learn more about this and get our heads around this. I myself uh, am a proud NFT owner. I don't know if you can be a proud NFT owner, but I do own an NFT racehorse, uh, which I am partly proud to say and partly embarrassed. Um, But I still have to admit, I don't really understand this at all. And so I am here to ask the questions uh, that you perhaps are too embarrassed to ask. Um, So just before we get started and we meet our panelists. First of all, I wanna say a big welcome to everyone who has registered for this. Uh, If you are joining us today, uh, remember you can watch this back. Uh, You will get access to the recording as well as part of this session, Um, or maybe you are watching the recording back already because you couldn't join us live. And if you haven't joined us live today, I hope you can join us live for the next time because it's a great way to meet other people in the chat box, have a bit of virtual networking and uh, ask your own questions because we will be asking questions live. Um, so do feel free to throw your questions in the chat box and I can see some people are already in the chat box. So I'm going to do some of my shout out. I'm going to say hello to oh, our friend, Jane Curtis is in the, in the chat box. Hello, Jane. Uh, we've got Danny here. Hello, Penny. We've got Sam Butler, our friend, Sam Butler. Nice to see you again, Sam. David Mitchell, uh, Katie from pancreatic cancer, UK. Okay. We've got a nice mix of organizations coming in. So please do say hello in the chat box, introduce yourself. Let us know where you're watching from it's always good to hear oh we've got louise from wwf and this is this is an organization whose name is going to come up isn't it because wwf have ventured into this territory so we will be covering that i want to say a special uh, hello to all of our members um, remember fundraising everywhere members get access to all of our conferences all of our webinars all of our on-demand content um, plus some members clinics and special members events that we run each month um, so if you are not a Fundraising Everywhere member, perhaps this is the first time you've ever been here, the first time that you've joined us, um, then please do have a look at our membership and consider it. Uh, it is a great deal in terms of the amount of content that you get access to. And you can join our online virtual community of fundraisers like you, like me, like all of us here uh, trying to get a red, our heads around everything and be the best that we can be. Okay, what other housekeeping do I need to do? Well, let me say general housekeeping. If you're having any tech issues, if you have any problems seeing the video uh, or with the chat box, then um, do try refreshing the page. Um, Like everything in the world, if you turn it off and turn it back on again, that generally solves everything. Um, But if you're still having trouble, feel free to to write it in the chat box uh, and one of our team will help you or reach out to hello at everywhere.com and one of the team will help you there too. Don't forget we have uh, subtitles, closed captions on this as well. So if you would like, uh, you know, if you if you would prefer to be uh, have your subtitles on, there is a little closed caption button. I always struggle with this. Which way is it? I don't know. Uh, there's a little CC button at the bottom corner of um, the video. Feel free to toggle your subtitles on and off um, if that will help you. Um, and if you, what else do I have to say? I think that's it, isn't it? Let's just get going, because we've only got an hour and I've got a lot of questions to answer. Uh, ask. Sorry if you can hear my budgies uh, shouting in there, um, but let's get going. So on the panel today, I'm gonna uh, invite our panelists on one at a time uh, um, to chat through this and just let you know who we're talking to today. We've got a nice mix of people today. Um, so first of all, who I would like to welcome um, is Duke. So uh, Duke Kim is, for, is the Director of Institutional Client Solutions at The Giving Block. You are very welcome, Duke. How are you today?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you so much, Simon, for having uh, me on today. Uh, Good afternoon to you. I'm uh, located in in Tampa, Florida. So uh, morning for me, but uh, I think afternoon for probably most of this audience. So uh, again, thank you very much for having me on.
0: Thank you very much for making the time for for us. And I'm assuming it's nice and sunny and hot over there, is it? It always is, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It always is. Uh, I was part of the domestic migration from New York and New Jersey through the beginning of COVID uh, down to Florida and have been uh, loving every minute of not having cold winters anymore. So Nice. Yes, I'm very nice.
0: I'm very jealous. Speaking to you from Dublin, Ireland, where we get one or two sunny days a year, I'm very jealous. Um, So Duke is the Director of Institutional Client Solutions at The Giving Block. If you haven't heard of The the Giving Block, uh, it is an organization focused very much on crypto and NFTs and that space. Uh, specifically for the charity sector. And you guys are doing amazing stuff in the amount that you are raising. You've got a huge campaign at the moment in terms of matched giving uh, for crypto. Um, so I'm really looking forward to picking your brains, Duke. Um, but I've been looking through some of the giving block stuff, and you guys have a wealth of information on how it works, tax implications, everything really. You guys you guys seem to be the experts in this space, if that's if that's safe to say.
1: Uh, I think yeah. That's I mean that's how we we I guess to not be humble for a second. I mean that that is our, our pitch is that we've been doing this for for quite a while. Founded in 2018. Uh, fast forward to to really just last week. We support about 1,400 nonprofits um, in the year 2021. Raised or, or on behalf of our nonprofits uh, processed about 70 million dollars. And a big chunk of that was actually through NFT activity as well, which we'll get into today. Uh, just walking through some of our nonprofits and how they've uh, taking advantage of of the market trends, uh, this new technology to interact with their donors and their communities, uh, and again, I think there is you know quite a quite a bit of of positive uh, with the technology, but certainly you know this today's conversation will be about some of the considerations to have as well uh, before you know jumping feet first into
0: this. Absolutely. Well, we're great. We're really really grateful to have you here. Uh, I'm also going to bring on our next guest, uh, who is Nicola Gunn. Uh, Nicola Gunn is the director of development and external affairs at Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home one of the longest uh, job titles that I've seen uh, Nicola how are you today
2: I'm very well thank you how are you
0: I'm I'm well I'm good I'm always, I'm always average um, but I, uh, no I'm really good it's nice to see you um and Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home I'm really looking forward to diving into into your guys uh uh is it an unwitting involvement in NFT and crypto or is it I mean let's we'll, we'll get into it a little bit we've not you done guys... our own
2: NFTs yet uh, yeah. but we've had a lot of involvement with NFT projects so
0: yeah and you guys have received the largest uh, crypto donation uh, in Scottish history is that right
2: we believe so from all the research that we've done we can't find any evidence of any larger ones so yeah we're going to own that until somebody tells us differently
0: nice all right well we're very grateful to have you too Uh, and then finally we have our old friend owen beecher from iRazor. uh owen i have forgotten his job title but he's the country manager of uk and ireland at iRazor. uh you may remember him from our tech summit last year and and owen has been around on some of our events owen very nice to see you again how are you today
3: i'm great simon thanks for having me it's uh it's really good to be at these events and it's good to see Having environments where we get to talk about really innovative and new stuff as well, which is which is something that's that's really really helpful for the sector.
0: Absolutely, and Owen, uh, for those that, that don't know, iRazor, uh, iRazor is a great platform in terms of uh, digital expertise. Uh, definitely want to check out. And Owen, for me, has been a great follower on Twitter in terms of his insights and thoughts and takes on digital. Uh, and I suppose some of some of Owen's caution is what I think caught our eye around the NFT space. Uh, we've all seen, um, you know, not to name and and uh, not to put anyone in an awkward position because I know we have some WWF attendees, but I think your name popped up in my feed, uh, you know, around some of the criticisms WWF were getting around the environmental impact that their NFT projects were happening were having, uh, and some of the comments that you made for that were quite interesting. So that so we were definitely keen to get you on the panel. Um, so really happy to have you join us today as well, Owen. Nice to see you. Yeah. Um, thank you. So- Thanks to all of you for joining me. So I want to I want to get into a really awkward question straight away and one that one that I'm ashamed to ask. What is an NFT? What I mean, I think we're all, we're all, we're all so used to uh, fun- fungible tokens. I've loads of fungible tokens just all in my bathroom and kitchen and stuff. But what is a non-fungible token? What is, what is an NFT duke? Can you tell me?
1: Oh sure. I'll I'll use, I guess, the, the non-sterile version. Um we'll jump in sterile and then we'll we'll get a little bit dirty here. So it's a it's a non-fungible token, which really is a fancy term for a very unique digital asset, right? Versus something like Bitcoin or hard currency, where the you know one pound note is the same as any other pound note, one dollar is the same as any other dollar a physical piece of paper currency the non-fungible token is is non-fungible it it cannot be uh, exchanged for anything else that's the exact same thing so everyone is is unique uh in the concept here for for um you know kind of fundraising and crypto assets you know where the the first use cases really come up is everyone dismissively talks about monkey jpegs you know hey people are trading these these pictures of monkeys They don't look particularly difficult to make. It looks like my child spent, you know, 10 minutes on on an iPad and and there you have it. Um, Which again, you know, that's the physical representation, but the technology underpinning, uh, underpinning that monkey JPEG is is quite unique, uh, represents, you know, private ownership of an an item that can be shown and shared uh, everywhere, right? You can, people talk about right clicking and saving an image and saying, well, now it's mine. Well, it's not provably yours. But, you know, a lot of people that own NFTs are are very happy for people to say, go ahead save a picture of it printed on your wall. But no, just like, you know, if you may have a picture of the Mona Lisa hanging in your in your hallway, that's not the actual Mona Lisa. That's invaluable. This is a a copy. Uh, In the same instance here, we have on chain through the use of blockchain technology, a, a verifiably private ownership of an asset that, again, can represent a monkey. A tree, um, and then even access to to various communities as well. So there are you know other use cases for NFTs, but you know primarily what we've seen, especially in the fundraising space, is uh, pictures, is artwork, uh, and again that that private ownership of that unique piece.
0: And I mean, we're very much in the early days of this, isn't it? So in terms of what it can do, what it what it's opened up, we can only. I, I mean, I would say we can only begin to imagine so far, isn't it? Like, I mean, so so to kind of dismiss it or be critical of what we've seen so far like the board apes that you've talked about um, you know that's a bit maybe a bit short-sighted isn't it because you know with all new technology at the beginning it's kind of hard to get your head around it's very niche but but the opportunities that come from that are not to be dismissed so quickly are they I,
1: I that's that's exactly our point um, you know I think again for the first use case is like buy and sell pictures of of an asset. Uh, We've seen a number of nonprofits work with digital artist creators to uh, create, you know, a series of NFTs that uh, supporters can purchase that then turn around and and turn into direct dollars. One of our our most, um, uh, I think, unique use cases was last summer with one of our our supporters and artists working on an NFT series for care.org. And each image that he created was then represented Uh, 10 days worth of food for a family, 100 days worth of food for a family as you bought certain price tiers of of the NFT. And so then that's in your wallet. And, you know, that turns into dollars for an organization to support people uh, in need in Afghanistan. Uh, And then from a a purchaser's perspective, you now have an on-chain representation saying that this is this is who I am. This is what I support. uh, And this is where I want to spend my money or spend my Ethereum. Um, So, you know, that's the first use case. I'm about to later on today talk to the Chartered uh, Alternative Investments Association, which is a kind of a Wall Street group of of individuals in the private equity hedge fund space, and talking about how, you know, NFTs can represent community access, where if I have uh, an NFT that's, uh, we'll call it $100 worth, Uh, Maybe I only get some level of of community access. I can only participate in specific forums. And then as I purchase uh, maybe more expensive or different uh, NFTs within a series, I can be exposed to a, a deeper community, have private access, maybe one-on-one conversations with someone like Owen um, to, again, build community. And the only way that you are la- allowed entree into that community is via ownership. Again, that's that's verifiably proven on-chain. It's not like, um, at least in the US, people talk about sharing their Netflix passwords uh, for streaming services. You know, with an NFT, you, you can't fake that. You know, it's either yours or it's not. Um, and I think that is a really interesting piece for community building and community interaction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to clarify, you mentioned Ethereum there. Just for anyone who, who's watching who's not one hundred percent sure, am I right in saying Ethereum is is a cryptocurrency? You know, not completely unlike Bitcoin, but that's essentially what NFTs are generally built on is Ethereum, as opposed to another form of cryptocurrency. Am I right, Mr. Sure.
1: Correct. Thank you, Simon. So, so, uh, so Ethereum is a a blockchain similar to Bitcoin. Uh, for the purposes of nfts it, it tends to be you know hold the lion's share of where artists and communities um are 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 using to um you know to trade nfts to generate nfts and to have ownership there are other chains but but by and large you know ethereum is is the number one right now
0: i find i find it funny one of the criticisms that we that kind of uh, cryptocurrency and nfts and and things like that uh, get is that it's not real or it's you know it's in this kind of imaginary space unlike our conventional money, unlike US dollars and pounds stuff. But I mean, I mean the reality is that money's not exactly real, is it either? It's it's only valuable because we say it has value, but it is it's still just numbers on on screen. It doesn't exist. So I mean it feels like um you know the value is there if people believe the value is there. Um oh we've just lost Nicola for a second, but I she'll should be back in a second. Um the value is there if people believe it is there, and and I mean it doesn't look like it's going away. People have put value in this, believe in the value, and that's not going to get wiped out anytime soon because this is a growing market. So it's, it is something that's, I mean, around to stay for the foreseeable future. But uh-huh. uh,
1: that, that's been my bet. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I left yeah. uh, a, a career in Wall Street uh, a number of years ago. I've been in the crypto ecosystem professionally and purpose, uh, uh, personally for the last four or five years. Um, you know, th- this is my bet, right? I'm, I'm all in. I'm just old enough to have missed... And not been allowed entry into the the Web 2.0, uh, you know, kind of startup craze in the early 2000s. Just did not get that opportunity. And so, at 35, 36 years old, when I had the opportunity to get into crypto professionally, uh, I, I jumped at it, and I, I have not looked back since. And I do think, again, it is early. There are some wonky things going around, but you know, I think the technology itself, as it matures, you know, will, will prove its value uh, for, for for more and more people uh, across the globe.
0: Okay, yeah. So moving on from from Ethereum, I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about Porthereum, um, and this is the animal crypto. And I wanna bring Nicola in uh, in in on this. Nicola from Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home, tell me what is what is going on over there. What is your <laughs> what is your crypto NFT? What's happening with you guys?
2: So Porthereum aren't an NFT project. They are building their own cryptocurrency, but um, we basically. Joined the Giving Block. Um, we went live with them in August um, last year, and Potherium were one of our first crypto partners, and that's where who we got the big donation from. Um, but in terms of NFT involvement, we've had about I'd say five or six different um, NFT projects that we've worked with now. Mm. Um, most of them, um, I'd say, two or three of them have um, made direct approaches to us, and the other kind of um, half of them, we've made um direct approaches to and um it's quite interesting because every nft project is different all the projects that we've been involved with are um what duke has described as the artworks and selling of the artworks um and we find that quite a lot of nft projects like to have um the kind of charity aspect of it Mm -hmm. um these nft projects obviously exist to make a profit. that That's why they're there. Um, so we kind of liken it a little bit to community fundraising, a little bit like corporate fundraising, and yeah. um, that there uh, tends to be a small group of project leads. That group can get much larger um, if the NFT project really takes off. Um, and those project leads um, are the ones that you kind of tend to get to know and directly liaise with. And then there's a wider community of all the people that have bought those NFTs and kind of bought into the project. So um, there's kind of different layers of engagement um, within the NFT communities um, Mm. and different ways that they like you to kind of um, coordinate with them. So, yeah, I would say there's been kind of five or six that we have worked with all with kind of different backgrounds and stories um, and motivations as to as to why they want to support charities.
0: And I, and I like that comparison, you know, around community fundraising, like, you know, I suppose the trending trend we've been seeing in fundraising around gaming and and even before that in community, you don't necessarily have to be the expert in it as a charity fundraiser. It's about the kind of relationships that you're building and tapping into those experts who have access to that knowledge. I mean, Nicola, are you are you heart hot shit on nfts do you know lots about it or do you do you own loads of NFTs, or are you i mean i know how you guys find it. you guys are good at relationships is that the important thing that you're bringing to the table
2: i am absolutely not a cryptocurrency or nft expert by any yeah. means um my partner dabbles in crypto a little bit not nfts so he helped oh god me you got, are, you, are you
0: married bro? to a tech bro uh,
2: yeah a little bit <laughs> so uh i i probably understand cryptocurrency more than I understand the general banking system, but I don't have any knowledge in that. So that kind of tells you I'm not a digital expert either. Um, yeah. I think that actually is a good thing because it shows other fundraisers that, you know, you don't need to be an expert. Um, you kind of need to understand the pros, the cons, the risks. Um, of course, the same way as you would do with any income stream. Um, but you definitely don't need to be an expert on on the tech behind it that being said we have just recruited somebody into our team who knows a lot more about it than i do yeah and um, but it's absolutely you said simon it's relationship management it's it's the same principles that we use in every other areas of fundraising it's just using online mediums and actually it's not always just messages and twitter dms and emails we with most of the partners we've worked with, we've been on Zoom calls with them and some we've actually met face to face for the ones that are based in the UK. They've visited the homes, one from one from Newcastle, one from Wales, came up to visit the home um, and got a tour. So I think that's the thing to remember is as much as this is digital, there's real people behind these projects with real stories who, um, same way as there is for all, um, all of our income streams, it's not just some magical, mythical there's real people who are running these projects who mostly want to do good
0: amazing so we've got some great questions coming coming in i'm going to start going through the people's questions but you you mentioned there i mean or, or you've implied there it's like you know we don't have to be experts as fundraisers to kind of tap into this or or work with this and that's a benefit but i suppose the cost and the risk that goes with that then Is that if you don't fully understand it, you don't know it. You do maybe open yourself up to risk. And uh, Owen, I want to ask you a little bit about this because I mean, one of the things that caught my eye—it was—it was was one of the first big NFT things I saw in our sector—was was was WWF's one um, who received a bit of, you know, a bit of negative backlash around the environmental damage that these these things potentially cause. Owen, oh, could you maybe speak speak to that a little bit and maybe uh, you know, give us a, a short version of your view on what WWF went through and what others could potentially be going through?
3: Sure. I, I guess I can speak specifically on on the platforms they were using. Um, and the idea being is that they were using um, a technology called Polygon to, to run their NFTs, which is built on or adjacent to the Ethereum blockchain. Um, The idea behind Polygon is, is it's done with proof of stake rather than proof of work, which takes significantly less computing power. And as such, should be significantly more environmentally friendly. And, and and anybody, even with a casual interest in in the crypto space, will be aware that environmental concerns are absolutely huge for for most of the major cryptos at the moment, particularly mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Um, and you know, you you could argue that some of the the devaluation of Bitcoin in the past few months may have come from some level of skepticism. Um, I know you have a uh, certain large corporate CEOs who uh, who pulled out of the Bitcoin space because of environmental concerns, and that can cause devaluation in the in the, the the price as a whole and i guess specifically with the case of this this project the question arises as to whether something looks good or is good um and what the optics behind that are and specifically in the case of of, of polygon my initial reaction was look you know the, the end use of Polygon appears to be less environmentally damaging, but ultimately the infrastructure it exists within still has that same damage. And it's that kind of thing of, you know, in driving an electric car is an environmentally conscious thing to do. But what if the electric car was built in a coal powered factory? And that's the question that arises. And 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 I guess. The most underlying point about this, and this is something that that was probably echoed by a lot of the panelists as well, is that because the knowledge of NFTs and cryptos in this general space is not necessarily very comprehensive uh, amongst a lot of the people investing and involving themselves in it, it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's true or not. It matters whether it looks good or whether it looks bad. And that's something that I think charities need to concern themselves with. Any fundraiser here will more than likely have have talked about something like lotteries in the past or Mm. or one of these charity products or gaming. And as part of those discussions – you know they're 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 new products. They're innovative. They're very valuable for charities. But you have to understand whether you know your safeguarding concerns are met, whether you're working with vulnerable people within these spaces, mm-hmm. and whether ultimately, regardless of the, the the mechanics of the of the piece of innovation you're doing, whether it looks good from a PR perspective. And that's something that I think has been a big challenge for charities entering the crypto space and entering the the NFT space. And that that's something that's incredibly tricky. You're talking about at the, the, I guess, the most popular section of NFTs at the moment is, as Duke said, very much pushed into the art space, which is a little bit of a gold rush. And what you're talking about is effectively investment products that create a risk amongst dealing with vulnerable people and a lot of charities you know their raison d'etre is to support vulnerable people so there is a significant concern with how you 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 enter into these products how you manage safeguarding within your own organization and ultimately how you calculate the risk behind what you're doing but if you get past that you've got actually quite amazing technology and like we said mm-hmm. if, if if art is the gold rush and investing in in um in nfts around uh, around various different images videos and things like that is is the kind of the thing that's grasped everybody's attention there's a lot of technological uses that exist that can be incredibly valuable that the technology provides a much more streamlined access to organizations for, but isn't necessarily being talked about right now. I don't know if anybody's worked with their special events team within their organizations, but there is something that fundraisers will experience when, say, for example, a musician turns around and says, I'm going to do a gig on behalf of this charity. Can you sell 20,000 tickets for me? By the way, it's in three days. The <laughs> challenged with setting up a ticketing platform in three days has added extra gray hair as you can see on the edge of my beard there that was from a a skeptic gig many many years ago um Things like NFTs provide a decentralized verification of ownership of something. In that sense, you're talking about removing lots of clunky, expensive, and environmentally taxing elements from a supply chain, and providing a service to a charity that's incredibly valuable, incredibly quick to market, and cheaper. And ultimately, you know, offsets the the potential things like environmental and risk concerns, but still uses an amazing technology. I think the, the the underlying analogy I would I would with this one is, you know, baked beans are very good for you. Eating baked beans is very good for you. It costs very little and it does wonders for your health. Selling magic beans for $800,000 is probably not very good for you. And that's the difference between, I guess, NFTs as a technology versus NFTs as potentially a craze that can be risky.
0: Nice, I like that. Okay, so uh, we're starting to get some questions in, and I want to put them to the panel. I mean, some of the some of these are, are actually kind of words which I'm I'm struggling with. I mean, anyone who's been to one of our webinars before knows I'm not very smart. Um, but there's a question in here from Mimo who says, "Decentralized autonomous organizations uh, as a governance approach to NFTs. Can you clarify, elaborate?" What is a decentralized autonomous organization? And 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 Owen, you threw out a few words there around like decentralized. And what what is this? Can someone explain this to me, like I'm not very bright? Duke, do you want to take a stab at this?
1: Uh, sure, I'm also not very bright, Simon, but I will try my best here. <clears throat> Excuse me. So so decentralized autonomous organization, horribly long word, but basically, just to paint with an incredibly broad brush, it, it's a club, right? That that doesn't have uh, uh, necessarily, at, at the beginning, a, a leadership structure. It's a it's an organization of like minded individuals. Maybe they all have the same NFT in their in their wallet, so that they can prove that they have you know that they should have access to this community. What's interesting about the the autonomous part is then that they are making decisions through governance or just through rules. Um, if you, I, I guess, probably everyone here might be familiar with Robert's Rules of Parliamentary Order. Um, I use that in high school for, for model UN. Um, it, it's really about creating a set of rules for a community or a group of people to engage with one another and then to make decisions. Uh, so particularly around uh, NFTs and around DAOs, what we have seen are groups that may create a DAO that is focused on uh, charitable work, social impact. Maybe they issue a an NFT of their uh, of their own uh, to you know to buy access into it. And then they use that proceeds to create a treasury or a pot of money uh, and resources. And then the organization will vote uh, on on where to and on who to support, whether that be an individual nonprofit or an impact uh, or a group of organizations that are focused on poverty eradication or or ecological concerns. Um, so so it's really a a big you know complicated sounding. Thing, but it's really a group of people that have, you know, have a have a token to to create, uh, you know, private membership, restricted access, and then they have this autonomous piece, which is again they're making decisions together, and maybe they vote uh, every month or every quarter on where to put the assets that they have accrued or generated through maybe the sale of a token or any of the other activities. Uh, and, and every individual in that organization has, you know, ultimately takes up uh, a role, you know, a, a scribe. Mm-hmm. Artist, uh, community manager, uh, but it's just a big group of people all around the world, uh, and and oftentimes you know their, their mission may be what do we do, uh, how do we do good with the assets that we are uh, accumulating.
0: Where where do you find these people? I mean, I, I mean, it's one thing, I suppose, not not to dismiss or not to belittle the hard work Nickler has done, um, but like Edinburgh Dog and Cat Home is you know quite a big name people might approach them. It's a bit easier to find them. But if you're a smaller organization who don't doesn't really have these contacts, where do you even begin to tap into these people? Where do you find them and how do you cross their paths?
1: Sure. Um, I will take... 10 seconds on this and I'll let uh, Owen and Nicola jump in as well. Yeah, uh, from, from our perspective, you know, uh, uh, not to show the company, obviously, but the giving block, you know, sees ourselves more as a less of a payment processor, right? Not just a, hey, let's accept a, a donation for a nonprofit, give them hard currency. It's really about the crowdfunding capability, working with that nonprofit. And we don't accept, you know, every applicant, right? There is a, our sales team has a process in saying, Owen, oh, you should be of a certain size, a certain history, a certain kind of budget and, and you know, People bandwidth to make sure that you're going to be successful, right? And then we kind of walk through with that nonprofit. Here's how you engage uh, crypto Twitter. The crypto Twitter community is uh, very active, very quirky. Uh, you know, we we show the nonprofits how to, to engage, how to interact, how to build marketing campaigns and competency. Uh, and then we also walk through even how to engage on Discord. Uh, and then we you know we allow the, the the people within the nonprofit to do what they do best as Nicola said, her, her competency is, is building relationships. We simply show a way to find new people with which to build relationships.
0: Okay, and Nic- Nicola, I, I'm gonna ask if you have something to add to that, but also tied into it, we've got a question from Louise, question from Magda around due diligence and around kind of making sure when you're taking money from these things that, I mean, it's legitimate of course, but you know, that it's not affiliated with something that's gonna, that's gonna sneak up on you in the future. What what kind of work is there around that when you're when you're responding to people approaching you? But also is there anything you can add in terms of how how fundraisers can be proactive in finding these people?
2: Yeah, um well, to start with where you find them, yeah, completely agree with Duke. Twitter, I mean, I didn't I've been on Twitter before we were into cryptocurrency, and I just didn't realize there was this whole bit of Twitter where there's all these communities. Um, and actually once you start to follow these obviously, as an animal welfare charity, we were looking for very animal welfare or animal themed specific um, projects. And there are thousands, we've not even scratched the surface of, of them. So um, yeah, we went down a bit of a wormhole on Twitter and found projects that we felt could relate to us, followed them, started engaging with them. But as out with that, Telegram, Discord and Reddit seem to be three other platforms where you find these communities kind of um, engaging with each other. But I think as a fundraiser, Twitter's a probably a probably a pretty good place to start looking. Um in terms of due diligence, it's such a good question, such an important question, because I think a lot of people in the crypto world like the anonymity. Um, and for us as fundraisers, obviously that, that can pose a problem. Um for us, we've not really had any issues with that with the NFT project. Actually, um almost all of them have been willing to. Speak to us on camera. Give us their real names. Give us their backstory. Share share um, information with us that that makes us really comfortable. That um, we know where the donations coming from. Um, in terms of when donations have been anonymous, we've used the same principles and the same guidance that we've received from Oscar um, around. Um, if we receive anonymous donation in, mm. in fiat and in cash and um, the principles that we would use for that we use if we receive a crypto donation so do you know if there's any concerns about it we would look at refusing it or returning it and part of the process of setting up for receiving crypto was that we had to look at our gift acceptance refusal and return policy we had to look at our policies on whether we hold crypto which we don't we we transfer our crypto to fiat straight away um but we also manage expectations for projects around these things. Um, and I think um, there was a really good point made just about um, managing expectations around the PR as well. Um, I think there was a comment actually um, from somebody around um, there's a difference between um, promoting um, an NFT project and thanking. And that's something that you really need to do in the early stages when working with a project, as well as managing their expectations around what you're going to do for them. So you know, we'll give you really good PR as a thank you, but we're not going to promote to any of our supporters to buy into your project because that is obviously a huge risk and something that we couldn't be seen to be doing. So, yeah, I think before you even think about accepting cryptocurrency, these are all the questions that you have to ask and make sure that your policies and your procedures internally are up to date and your positions. Um, knowing what your position statements are on some of the risks as well um, is really important before you even start engaging with these communities.
0: You're on mute, Simon. Oh, my God. That, yeah, that <laughs> means I have to make a donation to Edinburgh Dog and Cat. Um, so in uh, your your um, gift acceptance policy, this is, this is an actual written document that's signed off by management, the board of your organisation. I mean, this is something charities need to have in place. Crypto, NFT, whatever, normal thing. We, People need a gift acceptance policy. Where where do you begin with something like that, Nicola? Are there templates out there, or is it just something we, you have to you have to start from scratch? Yeah,
2: um, I'm sure when we created ours, we used the IOF. I think the the Chartered Institute Fundraising have a template for our gift acceptance policies, and we just really added a bit in there about crypto. But to be honest, the same principles apply for crypto donations as our as our fiat um, cash donations. So we just added a bit in um, to that around the kind of holding um of crypto assets and things as well so yeah pretty sure um it was obviously a while ago that we first created ours yeah. but i'm pretty sure the iof have that um as a template if you've not got one in house and,
0: and, and generally cha- charities and fundraisers are quite generous with their resource and times to other fundraisers aren't they so it's, it could be something to reach out to a, a, a more established charity if you are small or new and actually ask them for it now, nicola mentioned something interesting there about tapping into things like people on twitter and reddit what what does that look like? Is it is it proactive jumping on a hashtag and trying to like engage with them, or is it? I mean, like really, like where where do you on a very practical level, where do you start with that?
2: Um, I probably spent too many hours of my life in the first um, few months of accepting cryptocurrency doing this. Um, we were very proactive, and I think it's fair to say that actually, if you, if you join a platform like the Given Block, you will get some projects and people coming to you. But for us, you know probably about 60 percent of the projects we've worked with you know we have made those direct approaches 50 60 percent and for us it really honestly was going down really basic stuff literally searching dog nfts cat nfts uh cat crypto dog crypto and um, all that kind of stuff and just finding that the active communities following them starting to engage with them i mean the potherium example the 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 token project that um, gave us our £87,000 donation um, in November. We um, came across them because they were one of the many projects that I followed on when I was down the wormhole and jumped on Twitter one night and they happened to be holding a Twitter spaces with their community. Mm. Um, and I thought I would jump on and have a listen. And the first thing I heard them say, must have been fate, was... We really want to give a percentage of all our profits to animal welfare charities, but we're oh struggling God. to find any animal welfare charities that will even speak to us, never mind accept cryptocurrency. Wow. Um, so obviously I then DM'd every single one of them yeah. and said, We accept cryptocurrency. Um and within 10 days we had that donation. Um, obviously there was a few things that happened in between that in terms we had a Zoom call, I sent them a fundraising proposal. Um, but yeah, within 10 days we we had a donation of 26 Ethereum. Um, which at the time was about £87,000. So uh, yeah, honestly, just a bit of Twitter stalking, to be honest, was our approach. Um, Nothing, not rocket science at all.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, that that seems like the fundraiser's dream, doesn't it? But I mean, as I always say with fundraising, it's like the harder you work and the more people you interact with, the luckier you get that it's like, you know, you create this luck sometimes by just simply making these connections. Uh, Someone's mentioned Discord. I can't actually find the, the comment now but discord for anyone who doesn't know discord i'm I'm kind of new to discord myself because i play this ridiculous uh tapping egg game which i won't get into too much um but discord is essentially sort of another social media but very much with like private groups and it seems to be what's attracting all the nft people uh, uh does any is anyone a big user of discord does anyone know much about discord is it worth us kind of venturing around that owen are you a discord yeah. user
3: I mean, it's 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 hundred percent important for this type of space, as it is for some other kind of newer and innovative fundraising spaces. If anybody's been involved in in gaming for good, you have to be on Discord to get your community engaged there as well. Just to to follow on from what what Nicholas said, and obviously Simon, what you said about the harder you work, the luckier you get. Nicholas' story very much is is about engaging organically with the community. And I think particularly in the NFT space, the community has, a, uh, I guess, a bit of an authenticity radar about it as well, because there is so much um, noise and there is so much, you know, as such, that there are so many people who will be kind of aiming to kind of cash grab in that space. Mm. They're going to be very acutely aware of whether somebody is coming in the right way, whether they're engaging with the right Twitter spaces, whether they're actively, uh, repeatedly engaging on, on Discord, and whether they're working within the right groups on Reddit, Telegram and everywhere else that, that, that that's very active. And that kind of, I guess it helps to... You know, from that perspective, it helps to engage that community and show that you as a charitable organization can be trusted by them and that your intentions are to go in and work with them and ensure that they're doing the right thing, that you're doing the right thing. You don't want to be caught out with the kind of how do you do fellow kids type approach where, you know, you give the social media agency um, access to your logins and they spam the life out of everybody. What Nicholas describing specifically is being an organic member of that community and getting an opportunity because of that, and, and you know, I, I would say that that having access to all of the key platforms, particularly Discord, are absolutely vital for that, and, and that's something the charities should jump on.
0: Yeah, Discord, and I've noticed, like Nicholas said, Twitter Spaces seems to be quite active around NFTs. Clubhouse, if anyone's a Clubhouse user, there seems to be a lot of discussions around NFTs. It's it's quite interesting. And uh, there's an interesting um, um, com- comment slash question from Sam here. Which is how much of this is about access, as in that people want to donate crypto, crypto or purchase NFTs, but charities aren't providing it, and and I think that's a really important point. Like if you don't accept cryptos, if you're not willing to do NFTs, and a few people have mentioned they're border hesitant or or people within the organization don't want to do it, you won't benefit if you're not open to it. Um, I mean, I suppose um, you know, you know, Duke, we with. We're always quite strict about sales pitch, but I'm going to sales pitch for you. There are organizations like The Giving Block that basically kind of hold your hand through this, aren't they, to make sure that you can start accepting uh, uh, crypto or, or you know, being part of these NFT projects, can give you the guidance on that stuff. Is that the best place for us fundraisers to start when we're, when we're already juggling so many things? Is it just reaching out to an expert like yourself and looking for support?
1: Uh, short answer: Yes. Uh, longer answer is also yes, but uh, but expanded <laughs> on. So I mean, I, I think you know we do exist, right? To to help organizations understand the ins and outs of crypto. As Owen said, we don't want people walking in. How, how are you doing, fellow kids? Um, you know, you, you want to be authentic, uh, and, and the important thing is right. If you are enabled to accept crypto. You know, part of the sales process or the engagement is not well. Now you can no longer accept fiat or credit cards or or, or bank checks, right? It's simply a a new, uh, you know, a new uh, resource or new asset to to accept within the organization. Uh, we'll certainly walk through the operational considerations. It's important to note uh, most of our clients, uh, as Nicola mentioned, um, opt to immediately sell the crypto for for fiat, um, and that's that's important, right? So. Just like if you were to accept uh, equity or stock in a company, most nonprofits don't hold that equity thinking that it's going to appreciate in value. They need money today. Uh, and we we enable that and then remove some of that operational headache around the crypto. Um, likewise, on the NFT thing, actually, that was maybe missed uh, earlier on in the conversation is that our organizations, uh, given the operational, some of the tax considerations, uh, particularly in the U.S., for, for the donor and for the nonprofit receiving an nft you know we've we generally guide our nonprofits to accept the proceeds of an nft sale so if i hold um like your assignment uh, you know you're your racing a uh, horse nft and i want to donate that nft to uh, a, a a charity for a nonprofit or for animal welfare, you know, the animal welfare charity has very little use for the actual asset itself. there's you know it's, it's difficult, it's cumbersome, there can be tax considerations. So what we do is say, well, if I were to if I want to donate the NFT, what I should actually do is put it up for sale on a marketplace, uh, you know, sell it, receive uh, Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency for that uh, NFT, and then donate the proceeds of that crypto or donate the proceeds of the NFT in a cryptocurrency that something like the Given Block or other uh, platforms can process for the nonprofit. This way, the nonprofit gets you know dollars that that they can use. Uh, the, the donor can has uh, you know an easier time from a tax perspective, and everyone you know gets the kind of maximum impact that they could have.
0: Quick, quick question. You, you've all mentioned Fiat a couple times. Um, I obviously know what that is and know everything about it. But imagine someone who looks and sounds like me doesn't know what it is. What is Fiat? Italian cars. <laughs>
3: okay. uh, fiat is centrally issued money, oh. so from a central bank. I mean, so I real money, basically. Okay, so, so or non non decentralized crypto money.
0: And why? I, I mean, Nicola, you said it. You you don't hold crypto you move you move back into conventional money. Why is that? Is it a risk thing or what, what's the thinking behind that?
2: Yeah, I mean the nature of crypto being still in its in its um, infancy is that it's extremely volatile. Um so to kind of give you an idea of that, Bitcoin last year got up to around sixty thousand dollars. Um it's now sitting at about forty thousand dollars. Um the value can change by the minute um, never mind the day. So although you could hold on to it and hope that it doubles. Um, equally, you could hold on to it and it could literally lo- lose so much value. So as a charity, obviously, it's that transparency and the, um, your your um, duty to your donors and your um, your beneficiaries. So, yeah, for us, it's too risky for us to hold it. Um, so our current policy is that we withdraw it within 48 hours um, or quick, more quickly if we can, but um, we withdraw it as quickly as possible so that we can use that money for our for our mission,
0: um, and not hold it in assets. That's that's interesting because I I own a little bit of Bitcoin and a little bit of Ethereum, and it has been doing quite well this morning. And, oh, oh no, okay, I've lost everything. Uh, but anyway, so we've got a, a question there from Dom. Um, you know, he's talking about um, you know uh, what what is this thing uh, about the hype initially with these things. So the tricky things for charities is when we are expected to be part of the hype. There's a huge gulf between we've raised the money from NFTs, do you want it? And can you help us raise money through our NFTs? And I think what Don's talking about there is, is, you know, sometimes it feels for charities like they have to be early adopters. You know, as soon as Facebook was launched, we all have to be on Facebook. And as soon as Bitcoin's launched, we all have to work on Bitcoin. And now NFTs, we all have to be on NFTs. I mean, do we have to be early adopters, Owen? Or or is it like, is, is there anything to lose from sitting back a couple of years and seeing where this settles? Or how much is there to gain from being one of the first in it, like like Nicola and her team? Owen, what's your thoughts on that?
3: I mean, being an early adopter can be hugely advantageous. Um, it can also be hugely risky. I would say for any kind of new technology, you want to be at least... Early adopting in terms of reviewing the the value and possibilities, assessing the risk, and understanding if it's for you. And this isn't a blanket every charity will suit this type of technology. Some organizations will suit it because their mission is you know conducive to it. Some will have more brand concerns about engaging in this type of space. What what I would say. Um, is make sure that you are doing the research. Don't just trend chase and, you know, jump onto the kind of let's do NFTs without actually understanding what they are and what those risks are and what those benefits are because, you know, on a very simple level, you're probably not going to make the right amount of money out of it, but also you could end up doing quite considerable brand damage if you haven't considered it properly, thankfully. and, And this is and i will say this a lot that that this is a symptom of of covid um or a benefit of covid if it were but there is more organizations out there to help you with new technological fundraising it's democratized fundraising it's made access available for smaller organizations and there's no longer a huge cash barrier to engaging with new technology and and doing that research. I think somebody mentioned in the comments looking at having experts on on your board and that actually Mm -hmm. applies to any level of expertise. The old kind of trustee and board structure was get somebody with an MBE, question mark, question mark, question mark, profit, but now boards are very much focused towards harnessing expertise and having governance and guidance that comes from a very educated position and ultimately can massively boost the the activity you're taking on because at a governance level, you're being pointed in the right direction and advised to go through the right due diligence processes. And that can be incredibly powerful and valuable.
0: And Sam put a comment in the question box there about, and you you touched on it there about actually getting a, an expert or someone who has some experience with this on your board, or even even you know not not so formal, but as like a volunteer, you know, consultant. For it, and I think I think there's a lot of scope in that. You know, as fundraisers, there's that old rule which is uh, ask for a gift and get advice, ask for advice and get a gift. And actually, this is this seems like a good way to tap into this space is actually just reaching out to people who know about it and asking their advice, and that opens opens the doors to it. I mean, Nicola, is it, you know you you're, you're I, I find you as an esteemed fundraiser. I look up to you as a fundraiser. Is this your approach when you're communicating with people is, is is there anything wrong with just going out and asking questions and asking for advice is it beneficial
2: no that's what we did um <laughs> found it quite hard to get advice from other charities because there's not or there wasn't many charities in the uk who were at that point accepting um crypto there was some kind of international charities who were but it was usually their american arm so um yeah we kind of asked anyone who would help us um There was actually um, one of the reasons that we started looking at crypto again at the start of last year was because we were approached by an NFT community. And the person who approached us was actually a a journalist in Edinburgh who happened to be part of this crypto community that was cat themed. And they wanted to make a donation um, in crypto. And at that stage, we didn't accept it. But he was actually really good at giving us advice, even though we weren't going to get a donation. He met with my colleague and I on Zoom, and we had a good chat, and we were able to pick his brain and learn a bit bit more. More about the project that was really my first understanding of nft so i definitely think find the people people are really i think if people that are in the crypto community and the nft communities are really excited about the technology and really love to share and talk about crypto so i think if you can find these people definitely ask them and um, because more often than not they'll want to help i like it and i should point. say as well the giving block have been absolutely um, vital for our success because every time a new partnership and um, comes up and we're not quite sure how how to work it we've had a phone call with them a zoom meeting with them just to chat through or just an email just to make sure that the project that we're working with is legitimate or get any tips yeah. from them about how to to work it so for us and um, the value of being on a platform like the given block is just it's been really important because as i say as, as a non-crypto expert being able to get that advice has been really key for us
0: nice um, there's a few questions in here, Duke. I'm going to ask you. Uh, a few people have kind of mentioned tax a few times. Obviously, it's difficult because um, you know we have people attending here in all different countries. There's all different sorts of circumstances. But broadly speaking, what what do we need to consider around the tax here? Tax for the donor, uh, tax for us receiving NFTs or benefiting from N- NFTs as charities. What do we need to be thinking about here?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah. No, thank you um, for giving the context. It is difficult, given the global nature uh, of the space, especially around crypto and NFT uh, as a fundraising medium, Uh, at least in the US, I'll start there, is that from a donor perspective, having appreciated assets or assets that have gained in value uh, over uh, over a time period greater than 12 months. um, You know, if I were to sell that uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin that I've held for two years, uh, at a profit, I'd get a, a, a huge gain, uh, long-term capital gain tax on that sale. So if I sold it for $40,000, I'd have to pay anywhere between 25 and 37% uh, tax to the government just to sell that as, as you know, tax on the profits. Um, what I could do instead is donate the $40,000 Bitcoin. And then what I could do in the U.S. at least is write off the, the market value, the fair market value of that crypto against my taxes. And then I give the the nonprofit something that's now forty thousand dollars that they can sell, and because of their status as a nonprofit, not have to pay taxes uh, on the asset that I would have as a as an individual donor. Um, you know the way we we walk through our, our um, nonprofits is the in the opposite case is I could sell the crypto for forty thousand dollars reserve. You know, fifteen thousand dollars or so for taxes, and then only give the nonprofit twenty-five thousand dollars because I know that I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. Um, so that's you know at least the, the general case in the U.S. Uh, in other other jurisdictions and countries, it's a little bit different, but generally speaking, my gut would tell me that uh, the, the same treatment of crypto um, or crypto is generally treated the same as donating appreciated stock. In a lot of countries and jurisdictions, and so if there's a, a greater benefit to receiving um, assets like like stock or equity in a company, uh, you probably have somewhat similar benefits from from donating uh, crypto or accepting crypto from a donor perspective.
0: But at the, I mean, at the end of the day, like any of these kind of corporate donations, any of these donations in kind like people need to be getting uh, professional advice from from tax advisors. Yeah i would add Um,
3: to that as well so i mean if you have a local charity tax group so i know in the uk certainly there's a collaborative group um, called charity tax group where um, a bunch of key industry people will meet and they will have a liaison directly into hmrc um you know i give you an example of that facebook donations there was a long-term discussion about whether gift aid could be claimed on them and the, the various tax implications around those type of donations those type of groups if you're not currently engaging with them please please do because, you know, it, it it makes, I guess it's safety in numbers. If you're then advising people on tax and it's come from that type of a group, then you can point to the central authority as the people who advised you, as opposed to trying to figure these things out yourself
0: as such. Nice. Uh, we're, running, we're running out of time, but the, and, uh, I just, there's a couple other things I just want to cover. A few people are coming back to this environmental thing. And uh, Helen has said, are there any ways you can actually mitigate against ne- negative environment, environmental impact? Um, and Emily has said, you know, her board are hesitant because of uh, because they can't get past the environmental impact of using crypto, you know, working with NFTs and things like that. Is there anything we can do to do this? I mean, I, I, my feeling is over time it's going to get better as the technology improves as things come in. Is there anything from a, from a fundraising point of view, from a nonprofit's point of view, that we we can be doing on our side to kind of help this along?
3: Anyone have any thoughts on that? I would say ask the question. I mean, that, that's how things change from, from pressure. So as, as a charitable organization, obviously there's benefit to NFT marketplaces working with charities, much like there's benefit to any corporate social responsibility activity and making sure that the us as charity leaders stand there and say, we, we do want to make sure that you're focusing as best as possible with the technology that's available on the most environmentally sustainable solutions possible. The impact that then has, has on the market is that the environmentally good ones win and the ones that are chewing uh, energy on a daily basis lose their value and the market then shifts in in accordance with them but it you know it is a it is a, a kind of thing where everybody does have to use their collective voice because quite simply by very definition these are not government regulated sectors these are decentralized unregulated platforms so we have to be that market voice and we have to be that market force
0: and, ch- yeah. and help shape it for the future. Really, do you yeah. get anything to add to that?
1: Yeah. I, oh, and I mean, thank you very much for the the balanced uh, perspective here and, and and kind of the uh, that side. Just to add to that point, you know, we've seen a number of NFT projects again. You know, charity is part of their product roadmap. They want to support organizations that deserve it, and then they will again get ahead of that that potential negative impact uh, optics, at least you know, and say, hey, we're going to purchase as part of our NFT minting and the ver- money we raise. Uh, carbon offsets, right? And they'll say, "Well, we've done the calculation. There's you know multiple websites. We have carbon offset nonprofits on our platform uh, that, that sometimes NFT projects will will partner with and work with and say we're going to mint you know ten thousand racing horses. We've calculated the energy impact is going to be Y. We will buy two times Y the the number of carbon offsets to you know to, to mitigate that impact. Um, you know, as, as one way." Uh, obviously, as, as Owen mentioned, right, this technology is still new. Um, you know, there are a myriad number of ways and groups that are looking to uh, minimize the environmental impact, get sustainable energy in place. Um, you know, if I could take a quick divergence prior to joining the Giving Block, I was at a crypto lending platform that ran about uh, 20 billion dollars U.S. And and part of my um, work responsibility was evaluating Bitcoin mining Um Projects and, and prospects, and, and where they wanted to, to to build, what kind of energy they were using, and across hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a, a billion dollars worth of proposals, you know, not one of them came saying we want to use coal. You know, we're looking at you know flare uh, flare gas projects, um, hydroelectric, geothermal, uh, going underwater. There, you know, everyone is looking uh, to build sustainable projects. Um, you know, because. Ultimately, that's the best thing for their pocketbooks. Um, but but again, the technology is new. Um, there is there can be inefficiency, but you know I think we everyone's striving in this space to to make it something sustainable, something better, uh, better than not.
0: And certainly, it's certainly something for us to keep an eye on. And, and I, you know I'm really curious to see how this develops. You know I, I I have no doubt later in the year at our fundraising tech conference we'll be covering this topic as well, and probably you know inviting you guys back to chat about it. Um, but we are coming up to out of time, so I am going to start to wrap up. There's a few que- questions that weren't answered there, and I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question. Um, but I will say I, I'll, I'll just go around um, uh, the panel now and just see if if people if people are looking to get in touch with you and maybe, you know, pick your brains, ask you a question. If you're open to that, I'm hoping you are. Where Where is the best place to find you? Uh, Duke, where, where is the best place to get in touch with you um, and, and reach out to you guys?
1: Uh, sure. So Twitter is the best, uh, I guess, for me personally, uh, I'm at the Duke Kim, um, uh, obviously from the Giving Blocks webpage as well. If you're a nonprofit looking to learn more about you know, the direct acceptance and, and kind of working with the team, uh, you can navigate to thegivingblock.com. Uh, there's a section you can book a demo, talk to the sales team. Uh, but any inquiry that comes through those, the chat and all that, we will all see and address as quickly as we can.
0: Nice. Thank you. Is, is Twitter your social du jour? Is that what you check first thing?
1: It is. All of my internet friends are, are Twitter based, and uh, I'm probably the oldest person here. So Facebook is really, you know, my my friends from from middle school and, and high school. But Twitter is is really where I've shined the
0: last year or two. Nice. Thank you very much, Duke Nicola. Where where do people get in touch with you, or how can they reach out to you? Uh,
2: Twitter, email, LinkedIn, any of any of the usual. Um, I will say as well that. Um, our new crypto and digital manager started yesterday with us, David. So I know he's watching. Um, so he's much more clued up on um, all of this than I am. So he will also be a good person to tap into in, in due course once he's got his feet under the table. So you can find him in all the usual channels as well.
0: Amazing! Congratulations to David. That, that must be the first and uh, the first kind of crypto, crypto dedicated role in our sector in the uk maybe is it i don't know no maybe not i
2: mean i've not seen any other ones he's he's going to be looking after gaming and digital fundraising as well so not that's just exciting. crypto but crypto is going to be a huge part of it
0: that's a really exciting role oh brilliant all right thank you very much nicola and owen where do we find you uh yeah i'm on twitter at beecher owen
3: i'm on linkedin at my name and i don't think there's anybody else who spells their name like me um and iRazor.com is my day job. Um, and in the evenings, the Bank of Friendship pub in Highbury in North London.
0: <laughs> Every night.
3: I try to stay away sometimes and vary things, but you have to support your local economy after COVID, you know?
0: Absolutely. You're very you're just always giving, aren't you? And just such a generous, generous man. Okay, guys, I'm going to say goodbye to the three users. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your thoughts and expertise. And and I do hope we'll see you again on a future event because that's been that's been really, really helpful. So, so thanks a million. And I hope you all have a lovely uh, day and week ahead of you. Thank Take you.
1: Care.
0: Thanks Cheers. Thank you. Okay, my friends, we are wrapping up now. Uh, Just a few little things to say. Remember, you do have access uh, to watch back this recording if you missed any of it, or if you had a dog barking like Nicola did and you you didn't hear some of it, Um, you can view it in the same place. You use the same link and you'll be able to log in and get back to it again. Uh, Remember, we do have lots, always on fundraising everywhere. We've got lots of on-demand content, uh, which you can purchase as and when you want it, or our members for a low monthly or annual amount, you get access to everything, including all of our conferences coming up. Our next big conference takes place at the end of April. That is around legacy giving. It is our legacy fundraising summit. And so if you're in the legacy space or you're wondering how to crack in and start getting legacies uh, left to your organization, um, then do join us for that. Again, you can buy one-off tickets to join us or our members automatically get signed up and get access to that at no extra cost beyond their membership. Uh, what else do I have to say? Just really thank you so much to all of our speakers. I found that really interesting. Thank you to everyone in the chat for sharing your opinions and sharing your questions. Uh, and thank you as always to the Fundraising Everywhere community for, um, uh, for making us making this what it is, you know, it's you guys who who dictate the content, it's you guys who help us find the speakers and it's you guys um, that put out the questions that fundraisers around the world are looking to answer. So we're really, really happy to have you here and, and so grateful that we can facilitate that for you. So I might, again, my name is Simon and uh, and as part of the Fundraising Everywhere team, I just wanna say thank you again to everyone. I hope to see you at one of our future webinars or at one of our future conferences, um, but if any questions at all, Um, then do reach out to us, hello at fundraisingeverywhere.com or check out the website. Oh, and I forgot to say, if this is your first time joining us and you haven't been to one of our events, you can get your first month's membership free. Uh, If you use the discount code more please, you will get your first month's membership free and that'll uh, allow you to have a nose around, see what's happening see what the crack is with all the members uh, and see if it's right for you. Um, But we've got a lovely growing membership community, um, which is really, really helpful. Uh, uh, The final thing I just want to mention is uh, next week's event, uh, which I have uh, forgotten what it is. Um, And so I'm just going to briefly store while uh, one of my team puts it into uh, the chat box, what our next week's event is why am i always forgetting what our events is? we have so much on that i can't actually remember um but what i might do is uh, i'll get one of the teams pop it in the chat box um or I, what i might do i have a spe- very special guest appearance for you uh, my my partner and uh, nikki bow who more than anything is very good at correcting me and so nikki <laughs> could you tell me what what is next week's event that i've forgotten
2: yes uh hi um this wasn't expected i wasn't um Expecting to be brought on the screen so fast. Uh, so next week on the 29th of March, we are hosting a webinar to support fundraisers with using virtual and virtual events to build relationships and raise money with high net worth individuals. And we will be touching on some of the crypto elements in there as well. And it is free to attend. Um, so we will just drop a link in the chat box there so that you can register for that and, and come along. And hopefully we'll see you there. Really well done, everyone. Um, on the webinar today, it was great.
0: Thank you very much, Nikki, And my apologies for, got, for forgetting that. I got confused because really uh, next week's event around high net worth individuals uh, is run uh, is part of our Everywhere Plus platform. If people don't know what Everywhere Plus is, it is our virtual event platform. So if you, your charity, your organization needs help running virtual events or getting started with virtual events or improving your own virtual event, then again, please do reach out to us or check out everywhereplus.com, uh, find out more details of our virtual event platform and how we can help you. And I think that's it, isn't it, Nikki Bell?
2: Very nice. Well done. Yes, that's all good. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank you. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, have a good day. And we are going to say goodbye. And I will see you again at a future event. Take care and thank you.